Welcome to Win, the Women in Industry podcast, a production of the Communications Group. Welcome. We have with us today Kelly Peoples, who joining our Win podcast. Um, the Communications Group is hosting this Win podcast. We've been in business for more than 30 years. During that time, we have taken note of the growing number of leadership roles that women are playing um, in a variety of industries, um, and especially in agriculture. Uh, this series, this whole win series, is meant to honor women just like you, Kelly, who have inspired action, who've achieved success, who've excelled in their field, um, and encouraged generations of women to follow in your footsteps. We're very pleased to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. So glad to have you. Um, take a minute to just tell us a little bit about Kelly Peebles. Who are you? Um, and and what uh, what do you do when you get up in the morning? Okay, so I am Kelly Peebles. Um, we live in McCrory, Arkansas, and I am married to Sean, and we have three kids. And basically, when I get up, I'm getting them ready and getting them to school. Um, I work here on our farm um, slash business. Um, we are all organic and we grow multiple crops. Um, sweet potatoes, however, take the most time and work um, hands-on and paperwork-wise. So they get most of my attention. Tell us the name of your company. Um, it is Sean Peebles Organic Farm. How do people find you online? They can look us up on Facebook, and on Facebook, it's actually under Peebles Organic because we had to um, differ a little from his dad's business, um, so we would they would not find him instead of us and have some variation there, um, so that is how. So look for Peebles Organics on Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about your, um, your professional uh, and personal background. Well, um, I grew up in a house of um, my parents were teachers, so I had no agriculture background at all. I do have one sister, um, but I married Sean in 2006 and moved to the Delta, the land of mosquitoes, um, <laughs> and got an eye-opening um you know, meeting agriculture and having to deal with that. It's full time, even when you don't work on the farm. Oh, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie. If you haven't, you ought to. It's a, it's an old one, but a good one. Uh, the Egg and I, and your story just kind of reminds me of that, about a city city girl that moves to the farm with her husband and uh, has a total eye-opening experience. So sorry, sorry to interject there, but I thought that was The hilarious. land of mosquitoes. Well, guess what? It's not limited just to the Delta. There are other parts of the state that, <laughs> that are definitely the land of mosquitoes. In fact, I'm a little surprised at how much money I've invested in mosquito um, <laughs> eradication, protection, and prevention products. <laughs> so, so I definitely hear you. Um, tell us a little bit about um, you told us a little bit about your journey, but I want to know more about where you, how you got to where you are today, sort of in your, in the, in the family business. Um, and then if you will segue from that family business into telling us a little bit more about, um, your family and how they're involved in the business. Okay. So when I married Sean, um, I was working at an office and then I went to the um, Woodruff County Courthouse and I was there for about 10 years. 
And um, the farm kept growing after he added sweet potatoes. And it was time for me to help um, more full time. I, I helped him with paperwork before, but the sweet potatoes take on um, so much energy and time. So it was at that time that I resigned from my job at the courthouse as the Woodruff County clerk. And I joined him full time on the farm. And I started out just learning the the food safety. The um, I had already worked with the organic certification, so I'd helped him with that. Then we picked up having to do H2A labor and just added more and more each day. <laughs> um, so that got me to where I am. And now I handle basically everything paperwork-wise. All um, there, There's just a lot. Um, and I am still hands-on as well. So at different times of the year, I'm very busy and can be located in the field every day, all day. So... How did your family get involved in that? Okay, well, the kids actually go and with me um, at different times throughout the year for the planting. Um, they ride with me to get the slips and take them to the field. Um, and then before, I mean, we'll go and take food to Sean or others when we're not out there because farming is some long hours and if you're not good at packing you an ice chest you're gonna starve so we're <laughs> nice enough to take him some food at times so the kids are used to being out there um, and visiting and all that and then when we added the um, sweet potato warehouse in the fall of 2016 um, that entails a full-time job of um the sweet potatoes, of the inventory, of tracking them in, um, of them going out, the traceability. I mean, it, it's um, very detailed here. And so I'm here at the warehouse now full time other than during planting season. And so the kids come with me and they help and have fun or, you know, on their electronics, what kids do. <laughs> but they have to go with mom. <laughs> and they have to work. Do you make them work? They do work some, um, but they're 11. Like Callie now does not come with us. She's 17. She's too much for that, she says. Um, the 11 <laughs> and 9-year-old are both boys, so they still fight a lot. So they have to come with me just for the sake of their health in my house um, being destroyed <laughs> while I'm gone. So, yes, they do help some, and then they get bored, and, you know, it's on and off. But they, they know what they're doing. They know what's going on. That's wonderful. You, you said a term earlier that I'm unfamiliar with. You talked about the slips in the field. Yes. Okay, so sweet potatoes, you do not plant with seed like most crops. Um, we have slips, which are basically little baby plants. I don't, I don't know how to explain it to where people that don't know, but they're little plants that are cuttings off of sweet potatoes that are grown in the field. And you cut them off and they're about um, 10 inches long and they're shoved into this crate and the crates go and then they the um, guys will put them in planters and that's what goes into the ground to plant for sweet potatoes, not the seeds. So the slips have to be picked up every day from the slip farm and hauled to the field where the sweet potatoes are being planted. 
very labor intensive sounds like yes yes very yeah. sweet potatoes are hands-on from the moment they start till they go out the door basically yeah I, i'm interested in in um your uh reasons for going organic you know as opposed to conventional um, was that a marketing decision or is that just you know kind of your preference well, that was Sean. He decided to switch over about 10 years ago. He has farmed his whole life. He grew up, his grandfather farmed and his dad um, farmed and his dad still does. Um, so he grew up with that. And then about 10 years ago, he kind of ventured, well, a little more than that. He ventured off from his dad and tried his own thing. And the conventional just wasn't making any money there. It wasn't any growth for him. Um, so a f older family friend of his talked him into trying just a little bit of organic versus what he was growing conventional. And just that smaller amount of acreage made more organically than his conventional. So, I mean, I hate for it to sound like that, but in all honesty, it was for um, surviving. Um, supporting the family was the reason. But now, you know, it's different now because we have those beliefs and we don't want the chemicals on our food and all that for the health and safe safety. So, but it started out as financial. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's a, that's a decision. I think a lot of family farms are having to be faced with uh, these days and, and they're all kind of, um, you know, I, I think it's important to be flexible, you know, when it comes, especially to farming, because you never know what one year is going to bring opposed to the next, you know, so. That is so true. Yes. So, um, and, and just for our listeners who may not know, there is a big difference between organic versus conventional. A lot of different, I mean, you've already talked about the work that goes into organic as opposed to everything else. Can you just kind of describe what that looks like? Kind of compare the two? Sure. I get asked this all the time. So what's the difference in yours and this farm? Okay. So the main <laughs> differences are we do not apply any chemicals. The only input that goes on um, our crops three quarters of the time is chicken litter. And they go, it goes in the ground in March or April, and it has to be in the ground so many days before the harvest date. I mean, it, it's very particular. So the crops are, they're safe from chemicals. They're safe from um, any of that, you know, the inputs that go on there. And there are organic chemicals. Some people don't understand that as well. You can buy Omri certified organic chemicals to apply to organic crops, and they are still organic. But we try to not apply anything. But chicken litter is a must every year for the fertilization since you're not getting to spray fertilizer on your crops. Um, so that is the main difference is our crops are, they're just, they're clean. They're bare, you know, they are God's grown crop. Um, so that's the biggest deal. And then we plow and cultivate all the time until the crop gets too big because that's our only weed control. So that is a huge difference. Whereas the farmer next day down the road is going to hire a spray rig or an airplane, a crop duster to spray their weed killer. We have guys out there hoeing and chopping and the tractor running 14 hours a day plowing. I, I think when people, you know, when, when you say the word farmer, a lot of times people in their, their mind's eye, they go to a, a male um, out there standing in the field. But 
a lot of times farmer can be um, a female and you you fit that role that description and and you work as hard as um, any of the laborers that you have out there on the farm it sounds like to me and you you are continuing that tradition with your family right yes and and you are so true most people do just think that's a male and it's it still is i would say at least 80 percent but there are more um more females coming out the daughters of you know the men that didn't have a son or the wives are getting out there and getting more involved. And yes, I am out there during the planting season. I usually get to the field around seven or whenever I get there with the slips and I don't leave until those guys are done planting for the most part um, for that day. So, and then I go out and check them. I have scouted before and the only thing I do not do and I hope to not ever have to do is drive the tractor. I just do not want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Well, um, what what is it, um, given how labor intensive this operation is, um, how has the pandemic, how has the COVID pandemic affected your operation? Well, for the most part, it hindered us getting our guys here on time. Um, we filed two petitions for our labor, and the first one is to plant our sweet potato crop with. And we had issues because the consulate wasn't open for all the business when they would go for their appointments to, you know, get their visa and get their I-94 and all that and then get on the bus and head to us. Um, they were not open for regular business. So if there was any administrative problem with any of the guys, the guys didn't get to come. And we had that both times. For our first petition, we had two guys that there was something wrong with their paperwork. They didn't find out until they got there, but then yet there was no administrative people there to help with this issue or fix it. So those two guys couldn't come. So then we're scrounging to find two more guys to replace with, get them an appointment there. And then we have to pay another transportation fee just to get two men here from Mexico. So not only did it cost us the time, but it's more money because we had to pay two more guys, um, and then the transportation for them here. And that but happened on our first petition and our second petition, which they come in September. And then we had a South African um, that arrived two months late because South Africa would not allow them to leave due to the corona or COVID. Oh, my goodness. How do, And how does that ultimately affect the operation? Well, for our South African, we were expecting him to get here, you know, start working on the equipment is what happens in the beginning and then start, you know, getting the ground ready, disking and all that. And he wasn't here. So we had to find other people to fulfill that spot until he could make it, which is hard enough on its own. And then for our um, our Mexican labor, um we just had to wait until they were here. We were too short until the other guys arrived um, out in the field. So, I mean, it does put a um, damper on it, but you just keep going. You can't stop with farming. So you are not only are you um, the operations person, but you're also the human resources uh, manager for the operation, it sounds like. Yes. I tell people I'm a um, one woman show for the office that wears multiple hats. So if you have a problem, most likely just come to me. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I think we're at the point where we need to take a short break. family um our next section is really more fun it's a it's our rapid fire section we don't give you these questions in advance because we want to have a little we want to have fun see your personality come out here are you ready okay ready for those yes okay um and these are really not very hard they're just for (laughs) Um, (laughs) okay what's what's your favorite board game monopoly excellent what's your favorite sport baseball and your perfect vacation? The beach. Do you have a specific beach or any no, at all? any. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Favorite beverage? Um, Water, actually. Good for you. Um, something you absolutely will not eat? Oh, goodness. Um, tomatoes. Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> what was your least favorite subject in school? Science. I find that hard to believe. Uh, what is what's a skill you wish you had? Um, more confidence. Hmm, not believing that one either. Not buying that. Um, favorite holiday. Christmas. What is some advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Oh, gosh. Have fun. Enjoy. Life gets harder. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite app on your phone? Um, Instagram. There you go. How do you manage stress? Reading. I like to read because it gets me out of my daily world. Mm, that's good. What's one thing you've learned the hard way? Oh my. Um, to be organized so you don't lose very important stuff and spend all day <laughs> looking for it. <laughs> that sounds like the voice of experience. Okay, last question. What makes a perfect organic sweet potato? Um, okay, a healthy slip, getting it planted in time, um, not too much rain, weeding. And then having good weather for harvest. Excellent. A little bit of love. Yes, yes. A lot of love. A lot of love and time. (laughs) (laughs) That was wonderful. Okay, you did great on Rapid Fire. Um, We're going to move now into the section where we're going to talk a little bit about the industry and about what you do in particular. And um, Carson is really our agriculture expert. Um, I don't know whether you know this about him. He has a degree in agriculture communication. And um, I'm going to let him lead a part of this um, conversation because he is um, our expert in this area. But I do want to know about some of the trends in your industry right now. What are some of the things that are going on in the industry that you see as trends? Well, um, the sweet potatoes this year, they have gotten stronger. Um, it's, and I think they will continue to get stronger because they're a healthy, you know, hearty food. Um, and our organics has grown since we have started for sure. The organic sweet potatoes we have gotten, um, our sales have increased every year. Um, and the same for other organic. I mean, we grow other organic crops as well. 
Um, we're not just sweet potatoes. We have soybeans. We've grown corn. We've grown pumpkins, green beans, squash. Um, we do edamame. And we did black-eyed peas this year. And it just seems that there's more and more people wanting organic to be healthier. So... Mm-hmm. Uh- Kelly, how do you market your your vegetables and stuff? I mean, are you doing the farmer's market thing on some of these things, or, or how are you doing that? No, sir. I, I have done the farmer's market once or twice. Um, but no, most of our crops, well, okay, say our edamame is grown for a company. Um, so we already have it contracted before it's planted. They tell us how many acres they want. Um, same goes with the black eyed peas, which they are a new crop and a new buyer. We found them or got hooked up with them. And they, again, told us how many acres they wanted, the poundage and so forth. Um, for our sweet potatoes, we have some buyers that are every year. And then um, we have some people that have wanted to buy from us that we're adding. Um, the marketing, it's... It, it was really hard the first year and even some in 2017 for the sweet potatoes because, for one, we didn't realize you have to sit on them for so long. Um, that was new and scary because our other crops that we'd grown until that point, you pretty much, you might um, store for a little bit, but for the most part, they're gone to whomever buys them when you're done harvesting. And sweet potatoes are not that way. So we had to get out and, and um, talk to multiple people to try to find more buyers. We have gone to shows um, to try to get new buyers like the PMA and some other shows. Mm-hmm. There, I, And I think that's really reflective of the agriculture industry um, is that, you know, especially for new and upcoming producers, uh, there is just a whole community out there of people that are seasoned and have been through everything that you've been through. And they're also willing to help out the newcomers to that. And I'm sure you had experiences like that. We did. Yes. And we were blessed in that way. They would help us if we had a problem, you know, with even the crop, like in the field or, Hey, is this supposed to do this? How do we need to do this? There were several that we could call and they would give help. Or if we needed to move some crop that we had extra or whatever, we could call them and be like, do you know of anybody that might want this? And they would either give us a name and number or they would call them themselves and say, hey, look, I've got I found some extra crop. Would you like more? You know, so, yes, we did have assistance. The good. It's a network. Kind of yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, w- one thing I want to talk about a little bit, I know you've got a great passion for the global gap food safety. Uh, you know, t- talk a little bit about that. And, and how, how are you involved? Well, I am very involved. Um, basically, I'm the only involvement in it here. Um, it is very detailed. You you have to be very careful with everything from storage to equipment to hygiene um, to taking care of the harvest and the potatoes, you know, coming in the building. It is essentially to make sure that the product, the crop, has not been contaminated in any way, um, is completely safe and healthy for the next buyer to sell and someone to eat. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, that that right there is uh, just testament, I think, to how, how producers um, really care so much about the products that they make. 
um, for the end consumer. You know, there's there's a lot of questions and skepticism out there right now in the consumer world, and rightfully so. People should be interested in what they're eating and consuming. Um, but I, I think that's a, a developing story in the ag community that producers, um, they care so much about the products that uh, they make because not only are the consumers eating it, they're eating it too. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I get, I think it's growing more and more. Um, now let me, it was a big change to go to that. And for any producer, any farmer, it is going to be, that is a big step to take when you go to the, um, global gap food safety, because it is so detailed and so much paperwork and so many new steps you have to do. Um, it's a lot to learn and and it's overwhelming for new, new farmers. It was overwhelming for us, but it is essentially saying, Hey, my crop is safe. Do not worry. And so therefore you're going to have more buyers. The customers are not going to be as concerned. I can tell you on a personal level, I never really considered where my food came from until Global Gap Food Safety. And that put that in a whole nother perspective. <laughs> For sure. I, I think it's really cool, too, how your business works. Um, you know, we, we service three different uh, what we call niche industries um, at the communications group. We have agriculture, we have manufacturing, and we have uh, government and nonprofit. And and I think that your business kind of captures all three of those to some degree. Obviously, agriculture, you're working with machinery, um, you know, that, that, that falls into that manufacturing process. But also, agriculture is such a regulated industry. So you're, you're touching that government side as well. And um, it, it seems to me like, and, you know, I, I've heard you talk about your, your role on the farm, uh, wearing the many different hats. And I think one of those that you left out was being a, the face and the communicator for your business, you know, um, from a PR perspective, can you talk to that a little bit? You know, how does communication play a role in your business? Well, it's very important. Um, I mean, you're, you're constantly on the phone with the buyers and when they're doing purchase orders or how much are you going to have for this year? What can you give us? You know, even when you're, um, doing the seed and everything, I mean, it's, it's not just a, hey, I'm going to buy some soybean seed. You've got to do research. You've got to have organic seed. You've got to make sure it wasn't treated. You've got to have all your paperwork. Um, I mean, there's communication is is vital in agriculture because if you're not going to talk to anybody, you're not going to move your crop. Mm-hmm. And not only from that, but from even a, a management standpoint, you know, it sounds like you're dealing with multiple ethnicities and nationalities. There's there's probably some cultural barriers there um, and you have to manage these people. How do you do that? <laughs> that that um, yes, there is cultural differences there for sure. I have, um, I think, three language translator apps on my phone that I utilize a lot because I'll get frustrated with one and just go to another one. And there is still times when it doesn't work because they're using slang or they're not spelling the word correctly. And so I still can't get it to translate. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is going on? So, yeah, that the language barrier obviously is stressful. I have told myself for three years I am going to learn Spanish. I know a little bit, but not enough. And I have not learned it yet. And I need to do that very seriously. Um, But, yes, I do communicate with them. 
probably more so than anyone. I mean, Sean is out in the field with them all day, every day, but they really won't talk to him. I don't know if it's that they're scared or if they're just there to work or because when they have problems or they have a question or they need medicine or anything like that, I'm the one that gets the message. I'm the one that gets the call and, hey, can you help me? And of course, yes, hang on. I'll be there in a minute is what I usually <laughs> say. Um, but yeah, there's, there's lots of communication. My phone stays with me all the time and Basically, I don't even give out the office phone number anymore. I just give out mine. I'm like, here, just just call me on this. It's easier. Yeah. Well, and that's that's really funny. Uh, my grandma actually, uh, when we're from Oklahoma, and and uh, I've always been told stories about my grandma who went out uh, with my grandpa out to the cotton fields and in the in the wheat fields, and and we had um, you know farm laborers out there as well, and and they would uh, take an active role in in being a part of the operations of that. And so I'm, I'm curious to think about, and I, I realize that you don't have a, a background per se in agriculture, but your husband's family does, and, and obviously you're a part of it. How have you seen women's role on the farm evolve and where do you see it going? Obviously, there's, there's so much more um, of a female representation these days in the ag industry. Right. And I think it'll continue to grow. I really do. I mean, you're going to have... You're going to have little girls and daughters and wives that continue to do more and more because they're concerned about agriculture and where their food is coming from. I mean, every mom is getting more aware of this, in my opinion, and that's only going to grow. And so, of course, that's going to get more more females um, be interested in agriculture and get involved in, in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lisa, what, what else can can you think from your mind? I know that you have um, had some agricultural perspectives, uh, you know, throughout your life and everything, and and you've seen, um, you know, strong women um, make have an influence on the farming operations that they've been involved in. What do you have any uh, anecdotes like that as well? Are you asking me that question? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be asking the questions, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Kelly, I am. I'm really intrigued uh, when you said that. Um, you know that your employees um, ask for you and they come to you um, because I'm a big advocate for women in the workplace, and um, I I'm curious about what do you think that is? Why do they you think that they come um, to you? Um, I have a theory about that, but I'd like to hear what yours is. My guess would be, I honestly, when our migrant workers are here, I have told multiple people, I feel like I have 50 kids. Um, and <laughs> I, so my guess would just be that they look to me as a as just the figure of help when something's wrong or they have a question, it's, Hey, let's go talk to Miss Kelly or let's send her a message. Um, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just sh shout, I will help you. I don't really know how, <laughs> why that is, but it is. And I'll send Sean a message or I'll call him and I'll be like, did you know this is going on? Or have they said anything to you? Nope. So, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I just help them when needed. Well, our time is coming to a close. You have been a wonderful interview. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. I do want to ask you um, a question. 
Uh, just to sort of wrap us up, what's one message that you would really like to share with our audience uh, before we wrap up? Um, be persistent. You know, if you if you think it's a good deal or you believe in something, then keep working at it. Don't give up just because someone might not think you can or that you're not important. Um, be brave. Do what you want. Do what you believe in. Don't give up, basically. I mean, you know, it's it's a tough world out there in any any industry, any job, um, any workplace. Just be strong. Keep going. Wonderful words of advice and so inspirational. Kelly, we're inspired by you and by the women of the world that are making a difference, that are out there wearing their capes, uh, being superheroes, working your plan. And uh, we appreciate your time. And this week, we are inspired by our guest, Kelly Peoples. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you guys so much for joining us in this week's WIN podcast. The Women in Industry series is presented by the Communications Group and celebrates professional women and their achievements. For more about today's guests and others like her, or to nominate a woman in the industry for recognition, click on over to comgroup.com. Join in on the WIN conversations by going to ComGroup social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The WIN podcast is hosted by ComGroup's PR team, Carson Horn and Cecily Pamplin, and produced by me, Natalie Johansson. Technical support comes from our very own Com Group digital team, Casey Baker and Dylan Key, with our creative lead being Brent Miller. Additional support provided by Jennifer Pearson and Jared O'Connor with direction from Dan Calling and Lisa Van Hook. To learn more about how the communications group can help you achieve your business goals, contact us today at 501-376-8722 or at info at We look forward to producing many more.